0: You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, so we are on lesson number 30. Uh, I think your sheet says lesson number 29, so we'll just stick with that because I think we've put a couple lessons together here. So lesson 29, are the miraculous gifts of the Spirit still in effect today? If you remember last like two weeks ago, we left the class on a cliffhanger. Do you remember that? Probably not. I bet you were just like two weeks worried about the answer to this question. Um, Two weeks ago, we waded through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this passage, Paul attempts to clarify for the Corinthian church a few pieces of essential information regarding the topic of spiritual gifts. Before we get back into the subject... I want to remind ourselves what all the fuss is about. What was going on in the church during this time? Because in order for us to understand God's word well, we do need to understand that it was written in a context. It was written to a certain group of people for a purpose. And so it's not okay for Christians just to open up the Bible and say, what does the Bible say to me? That's not the first question. The first question is, what did the original author intend to convey to his audience back then in that context? And once we know that, we can properly apply it to our own own lives. And so here we have a church, the Church of Corinth, who is worldly, fleshly, immature. But there are believers who um, together made up the Church of Corinth, and they were abusing spiritual gifts, but they were interested in them. They wanted to know more. These selfish Christians were attempting to use spiritual gifts to draw attention to themselves. It's kind of crazy how that works. Um, I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, you know what? Funny people, they're not always funny. And happy people are sometimes sad. But selfish people are always selfish. You can count on selfish people to be selfish. And, And here we have a church full of worldly, fleshly, immature, selfish believers who were taking this incredible gift of God, the gifts of the Spirit, and using them to selfish ends. Paul was concerned, was concerned to curb their abuses of spiritual gifts without quenching their interest in spiritual gifts. Their obsession wasn't healthy, their desires were immature, but their acknowledgement and desire to have and use spiritual gifts was not. So, if I was to summarize, because we're going we're to be getting into this question in a moment, but if I was to summarize what we just learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in four statements, they would be these. Statement number one, There is a deceptive danger inherent in spiritual gifts that we need to be aware of. There is a danger in spiritual gifts. We ought to be aware of it. That's how Paul starts out 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He goes on, statement number two, God distributed a variety of spiritual gifts to whom he pleased to be used for his purposes of building the church. So God distributed the gifts to whom he pleased. Okay, every man according to his will, for his purpose. Not for our purpose, not for what we think they should be used for, but for what God says they should be used for, and that is the building up of one another. Okay, it's to profit with all. Statement number three, every person ought to embrace and exercise their own spiritual gift while valuing and benefiting from the spiritual gifts of others. Okay, so last week we saw that we, we, can, we should never diminish our own spiritual gift. If if I had one piece of advice for all of you coming out of this whole topic, it would be try and figure out, try and learn what your spiritual gift is and then use it to build up the church. Recognize that your gift is essential in the health of this church. There are believers here who need you to be exercising your spiritual gift for them to mature into the believers that they are supposed to be. God desires to work through you to mature other people. That's, I mean, abundantly clear in this passage. So never diminish your own spiritual gifts and never diminish the spiritual gift of others. Okay, I think some other people might be on the other end of the spectrum where they think, I got this covered. Everybody looks to me. You know, I've got this gift and this gift and this gift. I'm really all I need. And everybody always needs to learn from me. I think often this happens probably in people who are in more leadership positions. Okay, You've matured in the faith a little bit and now you feel like you've got it covered. But for those people, we're told... Not to undervalue another person's spiritual gift. Why? Because they're a part of the body. And you need them to function. And, and you might not realize it at the moment, but you need their influence in their life, their gift working in your life, for you to continue to grow and mature. Okay? Statement number four. There can be no doubt that God has given miraculous gifts to the church. It's very clear here. So that leads us to the question, are miraculous gifts of the Spirit still in effect today? Okay, should we be expecting to see miraculous sign gifts of the Spirit taking place in our midst, in our church, while we go out and evangelize? Or, I mean, is it possible that most of us are missing this because we just don't ever expect it, we don't have faith? Or is it that, that other people are missing it because they're pursuing these things when, when these things have ended? Okay? This is a very divisive gift, a very divisive topic within the church. Right? The series is called The Truth About, and I don't know if you, you can't pick too many topics more divisive among Christians than the topic of spiritual gifts. The thing is, if you tell someone who thinks they spoke in tongues, they didn't speak in tongues, you're, I mean you're undermining their whole experience of their Christianity. But if they say, no, I believe I spoke in tongues, they're saying what you believe the Bible says is not true. You're misunderstanding the Bible, you're misunderstanding the history of the church, so what is a big deal? And you add to that, you have so many fantastic theologians and fantastic preachers on both sides of the issue. I mean, really, half of the books in my library are written by people who, who are on different sides of this issue. So, it is a, it's a huge topic within the church. I'm sure that even in this room, there are some differences of opinion. Here are the positions held by Bible-believing Christians. Position number one is the cessationalist position. And it's kind of a a funny name for it. You can tell that nobody with any kind of um, ingenuity came up with the name. Uh, The cessationalist, what does that mean? Ceased, right? Um, Not very interesting. But the problem with this name is that it gives the impression that it's not just that the miraculous gifts have ceased, but that the work of the Spirit has ceased. So people who take a cessationalist position sometimes are labeled as those who expect not to, to see the Spirit to work and, honestly, sometimes act that way. Okay, a lot of times I think cessationalists, we're a little bit scared of the work of the Spirit and because we think that other people are abusing it, we just step way back from that and so we don't talk about spiritual gifts. Okay, we, we try and just stay away from that topic. Yes. Are you saying that the cessation, sens, cessational view Believe that all work of the Spirit is stopped. No, that's not what they believe. But but some people understand it that way. Okay. That's not how it should be understood. The, the way to understand the cessationalist position is just that um, we're no longer expecting the miraculous sign gifts of the Spirit to be used on a regular basis in the church. Okay, And and part of that is, we believe we have complete revelation. And, and part of what, what we're going to see in a moment is that... One of the reasons, one of the main reasons that we had miraculous sign gifts of the Spirit was to confirm the work of God, to confirm the revelation of God. Okay? So they needed prophets. They needed people who had this special kind of, of knowledge. They needed the apostles. They needed these things who now we say, say have ceased because they were giving the truth to the church that the church didn't yet have. Right? I mean, prior to the, the Bible being completed, the New Testament being completed... <laughs> What did they have to go on? And so they had prophets. And one of the ways that people, it was confirmed that these prophets were speaking from God was through signs and wonders and miracles. And so when you see somebody bring somebody from the dead or, or heal somebody in a miraculous, overt, obvious way where there's many witnesses and it's, it's just very clear, and then that person says, and God has said this, then it's just a sign that this is true. This is happening all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that this is how um, miracles are being used. Okay. Miracles in Jesus' life were being used this way. And we'll see this in a little while. So, there is um, the hard cessationalist. They would say that there's no miracles, no way. Just don't expect any type of work of God like that. There's the soft cessationalist, where it's not expected, but it's not impossible. And I would probably um, put myself in the second category of um, not expected, but not impossible. Um, just putting my cards on the table so you can see them. Um, soft cessationalist. But I do realize that, like, I'm, I'm, it's kind of, like, some people would call it a weak cessationalist. So, I'm like, the word is they've ceased, and it's weak. I'm, that's, it's really not a good title, but that's where I'd cl- cl- classify myself. Um, the continuationists, on the other hand, it believes that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, the sign gifts, continue. Okay? The argument of the continuationalist is very simple: miraculous gifts were promised back in the Old Testament, Book of Joel, in Joel chapter two, verse twenty-eight, and it says, "And it shall come to pass afterward." that they will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Okay, So, promise the Old Testament, this is what to expect. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes from this text, and he says this is what's happening. Okay? The gifts of the Spirit are being poured out on the church. That's what's going on here. That's why we're all speaking in tongues like this. Um, the second thing that the continuationists would say is they'd say the miraculous gifts are present um, here in the church of Corinth. Uh, in other words, they're, they, they're continuing in the church age. like They're continuing all throughout what we see in the New Testament. Some people would, would argue that there's a decline in spiritual gifts, and there's a case to be made for that. But nevertheless, there still are um, miraculous gifts being used in the church. And the third thing they would say is... Um, that there's, it's never said that they would cease. The Bible is never abundantly clear that those gifts would cease. Now, some cessationists would say, no, it actually does say that they'll cease. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But most continuationists say, no, that's a, that's a wrong interpretation of that text, and so the Bible never says that they'll cease. Um, we see many of these gifts on display throughout the book of Acts, and Paul says here not to be ignorant of them and to pursue them diligently. So, if you are a cessationalist, we have to deal with all of those issues, all of those points that are raised, because they are strong points. It's a, it's a strong case. Um, there are different types of continuationalists, just so we're, we're clear on who we're dealing with. Um, there is the, what's been called the third wave, started in the 1980s, and this was a group that, that really grew into something way, way beyond what the Bible seems to um, say spiritual gifts, even miraculous gifts, are supposed to be. And this, so this is where you get a lot of the really crazy stories about gifts of the Spirit taking over people and them barking and laughing and, and doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, but what's interesting about this third wave is that it didn't start mainly in Pentecostal churches. It started in other denominations, um, from, maybe from the influence of Pentecostals, but Pentecostals kind of have stayed about where they're at since the 1960s. Okay? So you have the Pentecostal movement, which they, they practice the gifts regularly in the church. Um, if you went to a Pentecostal church, you would expect at least once or twice or a few times to see somebody get up and speak in tongues. It, that's just a, a fairly normal thing for Pentecostal churches. There are exceptions, but that's the norm. Then you have what I'm calling the controlled charismatic. And this would be the group of people who, who seem to take the warnings against spiritual gifts very seriously but they still believe they're in existence. So I would say that the controlled charismatic is the one who is attempting to um, practice spiritual gifts in the most biblical way possible. And this is the group that you have people like Wayne Grudem and Don Carson. Those are some great theologians that they they fit within this group. Um, It includes preachers that you probably know of, like David Platt, Matt Chandler, John Piper. Um, it, it It includes a lot of people who... Everywhere else, we would agree with most of what they say. And yet, in this area, they're, they're different. They're, they're charismatic. So, um, on the other hand, there are some really great theologians who believe in cessationalism. Um, guys like John MacArthur and B.B. Warfield, Norman Geiser, R.C. Sproul, Richard Gaffin. There, there's some pretty well-known theologians who are, believe that the gifts have ceased, um, and nearly all of the great reformers and most of the great preachers that you have know from the past would be cessationalists. So now we've got to figure out what we do. Okay? So what are we supposed to believe? Do we just say, well, I, I know more of the guys in this group, so I'm just gonna follow them? Some people do that, right? Unfortunately, a lot of times we get our theology from um, the most popular preacher on YouTube and not from the Word of God. And so we, we should, I hope, go to the Word of God to figure it out. Uh, I want to clearly define what we're talking about here, when we're talking about these miraculous gifts. And so, wh- when we're talking about in the New Testament, what the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are, they are overt, obvious, unexplainable acts of God that supersede the laws of nature um, it is God stepping in and intervening in a supernatural way, or an unnatural way. Something that very obvious, something that is very clear. Um, biblical miracles are obvious, irrefutable, and purposeful. So every single time we see these miracles taking place, there is a purpose behind them, and there is an audience present, and there is a very clear demonstration of the Spirit, um, of God's power. When we talk about the gifts of prophecy... Throughout the Old Testament, and I would argue into the New Testament, it is God giving his infallible word to a man or woman to speak directly to another, or to the church, or to Israel. So this is when God is giving a new revelation, and it is perfect. It is infallible. It is at the same level as the Word of God. In fact, much of what the Word of God is, is the words of the prophets being spoken. And so they're giving the exact word of God. Um, the gift of healing was the ability to heal wounds, diseases, and raise people from the dead. It was, it was a gift that a person had and could exercise at will. That's what, that's what the gift of healing seems to be in the New Testament. Now, there are some cases where Paul seems to have been able to heal somebody, and then later on couldn't heal himself. So that, that, that happens in the New Testament. But it doesn't seem like the gift of healing is a group of people getting together and praying, and praying that somebody would be healed, and then God answering their prayer. It's more of a, I have the gift of healing, so I'm going to go to so-and-so who has a, a, an ailment, I'm going to put my hands on them, and I'm going to heal them, because that's my gift. Okay, that would be what the gift of healing looked like in the New Testament. So here are some questions that we need to consider as we answer the question, Are they should we expect those to continue? Question number one, did the miraculous gifts serve a greater purpose than the obvious? And if so, should we expect that purpose to continue today? Or is that purpose still necessary today? Um, Namely, the purpose would be to validate the messenger. So in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, um, you know the story well of Moses, and Moses going before the burning bush, and God saying, Moses I want you to do this, and Moses saying, I, don't, I can't do it uh, I can't speak well, and he says, I'll send Joshua, and you'll be like God to Joshua, and so I'll send a message to you, you'll tell Joshua what to say, that's kind of like the, the picture, is like this is what it's supposed to look like, okay, so Moses is going to tell Joshua, and Joshua is going to speak the words of God, infallibly, perfectly and, but it, it, during this first conversation Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? They're not going to believe me, why would they believe me? okay I, I'm just Moses and so he, in Exodus 4, 1, says, And Moses answered and said, Behold, but they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto thee. Pretty obvious. If anybody else showed up and said, Hey, the Lord appeared to me, and he said, you want, He wants you to leave your home, you wouldn't listen to him. So how do you know that he's telling what God said? Um, verse number 8 says, And it shall come to pass, If they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of thy, thy sign, um, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. So he's, he's already showed him, put your rod on the ground, and it's going to turn, it turns to a snake. He says, this is a sign. I will show them sign. If, it does, if the first sign doesn't work, we'll try the second sign. If the second sign doesn't work, there's a, there'll be a third sign. So he's using these signs, these miracles, to um, validate that the messenger is from God. Okay? We go to um, somebody like Gideon, and here we have another example of now Gideon is going to the angel and saying, Angel, I want to know for sure that it is God that sent you that God is the one that really wants me to do this that you're just not like I mean you think about that an angel appears to you you think you just listen to the angel but he doesn't he doesn't he he wants signs and so he he he's given two miraculous sign gifts that validate that the messenger is from God you look at um, somebody like Elijah Elijah gathers at Mount Carmel and there's all these false prophets and they're all gonna call fire upon um, the altar and 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 there's gonna be this incredible demonstration that these pagan um, priests are gonna show that their gods are real. And here we have Elijah in the background and he's just mocking them. Like maybe he's on the toilet. <laughs> you know, I who knows where your gods are, but they're not here and they're not powerful. And so then in 1 Kings 18:37 it says, "Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again." Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Okay? So here it is. Lord, listen to me so that they will know. Listen to me so that it will be clear that, that you are the God of heaven and that I am your prophet. And so then God acts. And the miracle is not just because it was so important that that, that altar be burnt up, right? The, the thing to understand about miracles is if God's desire was just to heal the sick, he could do it like that. If God's desire was was to um, give Israel His land, th- their land, then He would just um, make everybody else drop dead, and they can walk in and clear off the bodies. In fact, He could probably just like miraculously pick up all the bodies and move them and bury them. I mean, God could do anything He wanted to do. So the purpose of the miracles throughout the Old Testament isn't because that's the only way that Israel is going to win. Because God could just make them win in many other ways. The purpose is to show Israel and to show. The enemies of Israel, the power of God. It validates God, it validates his message, it invalidates the messengers. Same as the New Testament. Why didn't Jesus just walk into a village and say, everybody be healed? No, he wanted people to come to him. He wanted them to see so that they could believe. And so we look in the New Testament, we see Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 37. says, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. If there's, if there's no miraculous works going on, you don't have a reason to believe me. But if I do, though ye believe not me, though you might not believe my words, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Again, John chapter 14, verse 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. are referring to his miracles. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, so John, thank you. Got, Jesus did a lot of other things that aren't here. We, we could have guessed that. But these are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Well, what do you mean? What, what exactly are written? It's the signs that Jesus did. It's not the teachings of Jesus that, that, that he did that are supposed to make us believe. It was the signs. It was the miracles. Because he knew that if, if there was a great teacher that came and couldn't back up anything that they did and, and didn't validate their message, then people had no reason to believe them. And so the miracles were used to validate the message. Um, so there is a purpose. and That's the, the point that I want you to cross first. Is it seems like the New Testament, the New Testament had a purpose. The Old Testament had a purpose for miracles. God wasn't just doing it because there was really no other way to cross the Red Sea. He was doing it because he was showing Israel that he would protect them, and he would take care of them. He was showing the enemies of Israel that they shouldn't mess with Israel because, because Israel's God was great and mighty. right? So, question number two, did the miraculous or sign gifts end with the apostles? Did they end with the apostles? Because We can establish why they're there. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says, And God set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, then helps, then governments, diversities of tongues. When we look at that list, we say, okay, most of those look like sign gifts, but it's interesting that not all of those things seem to be offices, right? But some of them are. So we have apostles who are clearly an office, but it's still a, a spiritual gift given to the church. And then you have um, the prophets who it could be an office you have teachers who probably hold an office, but maybe teaching is not the actual office. The office might be that of a pastor um, or a, their shepherd. Um, after that, miracles. Miracles doesn't... There's no indication that a miracle worker was a special office or a healer or a helper or somebody just that was in government that was that was in authority um, or diversity of tongues. All those things, those last things don't seem like... So what, what the point is, it seems like Some of the gifts given were to the benefit of the church, but they were offices. And if if the office of the apostle, which was also a spiritual gift, has ceased, then we have a reason to believe that the Holy Spirit is working differently in the church today than he did in this foundational period. So I I want you to get that very clear. If we can agree that the apostles have ceased, that there is no such thing as apostolic succession, then we have a good reason to believe that other gifts of the Spirit would be used differently today, or that the Spirit is at least functioning differently in some way now than He did then. Um, Miracles were used, both in the Old and the New Testament, to confirm the divine source of the message being delivered for the first time, here with the apostles and with the prophets it seems like all of these things were together to confirm the divine source of the message that was being delivered for the first time. So the church needs to know all these things. How do do they know? Well, the apostles are able to do miracles, right? The the prophets, there's there's just miraculous things happening um, around all of this new divine revelation. Um, In the early church, in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus sends out his disciples. And he sends them out two by two and they're going to, kind of for the first time, wet their feet on this evangelism thing. And he says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So the, the apostles are going to be giving the word. It's to fa- the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But one of the things we, I think we miss is, here, what what's happening? He says... The church is built on the apostles, and we assume, okay, well, that's, that's just it. That's Jesus um, uh, in first, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to build my church on you. And that's like, okay, so that's the foundation, the apostolic foundation. But it wasn't just the apostles there. It was also the prophets. So there, there are apostles and prophets that are the foundation of the church, and that's clear in the Bible. Well, what is the foundation then? It is the true words that they spoke. When you have a foundation, you don't need to build another foundation. Right? In fact, Paul says that. We're, we're not to build our own foundation, we're to, to build on another's foundation. And so, everything that the church builds from the point of the apostles on and, and those early prophets on is the superstructure. It is the building above, it is not the foundation. Foundations laid once. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, it says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and then it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, namely the, prophet, the, the apostles, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What, what seems to be happening here is um, the writer of Hebrews, which was probably written soon before the temple was destroyed in about eighty sixty eight or eighty sixty nine, um, the writer of Hebrews is um, saying he's looking back and he's saying this is how we got the message that we have now. First the Lord, then those that heard him, confirmed by signs and miracles. It's like he's speaking in past tense, isn't it? It's it's almost like at this point most of that foundation has been laid, and so. Um, he is just giving kind of, this is the great salvation. What's the great salvation? It's the message that that they all delivered to us. So miracles were used to accompany the spoken word to confirm its authority as the word of God. When we look back on biblical history, we see that miracles are the exception and not the norm throughout biblical history. So when we look at the Old Testament you might just glance over and say, yeah, there's a miracle there, and there's a miracle in this book, and then this book, and this book. But remember, there's like 500, 1,000 years between those events. Okay? And there, there are huge gaps in time where there aren't these incredible, obvious miracles. Okay? So it's really unique what happened with Moses. It's really unique what happened with Elijah and Elisha. It's really unique what happened with in the New Testament with Jesus. And so it's not what, what the God has always been doing. Um, what God seems to be doing is He's establishing something, um, and during that time of establishment, there are miracles and there are signs and there are wonders, and then those things kind of cease until something new needs to be established. New revelation needs to be given. So, that leads us to the question, did the miraculous gifts cease with the completion of the New Testament? And this is where we're getting into a very controversial passage 1 Corinthians chapter 13, both the cessationalists and the continuationists will use this verse to prove their point. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, "'Charity never fails, "'but whether there be prophecies, "'they shall fail. "'Whether there be tongues, "'they shall cease. "'Whether there be knowledge, "'it shall vanish away. "'For we know in part, "'and we prophesy in part. "'But when that which is perfect is come, "'then that which is in part "'shall be done away.'" When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. So the cessationalist looks at this passage and says, listen, it says here that we prophecy in part. And that is, that means partial. Our prophecy is partial. Okay, The tongues, it's partial. It's And, and what I think he, he's getting at, and what the cessationist would be, say he's getting at, was the revelation that comes from the prophecy is partial. Okay? It's, it's only a little bit at a time. But when that is, which is um, perfect, or the word is complete, is come, then that which is partial will be done away. And so when a, a cessationist looks at those verses, he says, it seems very clear that it's talking about um, talking about these miraculous gifts. The other thing that they would mention is that, that which is in, when that which is perfect has come doesn't seem to, it doesn't say clearly when the one who is perfect or the person who is perfect or uh, it, there's no um, personal pronouns that indicates it's a person rather than a thing. So when, when that thing that is perfect has come is how they would read it. And that makes sense with the way it's written. Now, the continuationists would look at that, and they'd say, no, 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 the thing that's perfect is Jesus. And so we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus, and now we have prophecy and all these other things in part, but someday we'll have the, what, is, what is actually complete, and that is the presence of Jesus. So, you have to determine which one you think makes more sense to you. Um, honestly, it's, 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 not an, it's not an easy text. And... <clears throat> You almost think that if we are supposed to know this so clearly, that it would be more clear, right? And so I, I'm trying to figure out, and I've, I've wondered this for a long time. Is it, is it because we're sinful that we don't understand this, even though we try as we might? Or is it because we're not, it's not supposed to be that clear? I don't know. When I, when I look at these verses, I mean, I, t- I tend to be on the cessationalist side, so when I look at these verses, I see, while well, it's not, it doesn't seem to be referring to a person, and the whole time it seems to be referring to revelation, that, and so I would look at the, the tongues and the, the prophecy, uh, that all those things are designed to confirm the messenger and the message, and so when that which is perfect or complete is come, then those partial revelations will cease. They're no longer necessary. Yeah, that fits very well with my understanding of Scripture, that Scripture is not just the perfect Word of God, but it, that it's sufficient. So, the, in other words, the Scripture, you don't need more than the Scripture, um, more revelation from the God from God than you have the Scripture to live, to be a, a, a complete person. 1 Timothy um, 3.16 says this pretty clearly, right? That it's, for the man of God to be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works, all we need is Scripture that's given by the inspiration of God and his profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? So the the Bible seems to be um, saying that, uh, to me here, that when we have the perfect and complete revelation, that all of these partial revelations will no longer be necessary. But, it's not 100% clear. So, that's that. (laughs) And I think it's more evidence, though, that we have the perfect Word of God, and that's complete. And that's, mm-hmm. like you said, all Scripture reveals. That's all we really need. Mm-hmm. We have a book of prophecy in revelation telling us future mm-hmm. things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think we're just waiting for the fulfillment of Scripture. Yep, yep. And do they, the others that believe the other way, they believe that they're talking uh, exclusively about Jesus Christ and not yes. the Word of God. Yes, yes. Now, so, this Ms. Um, Manning brings up a really good point. Um, so, you, you, within that group of charismatics that I mentioned at the, f- at the start, there are some that believe and expect new revelation from God all the time. So, they believe that the Word of God is perfect, but it's not complete. And so, we expect God to speak to us. So, that's where you'll have people who will pray, and then they'll wait until God gives them a message after they pray. Right, and because they're, they're waiting for new revelation from God to, to guide their life, because what they have in the Bible isn't enough. So if you've ever heard of Ann Voskamp, that book, Jesus Calling, that's what that book is, is It's teaching, that you should wait for God to speak to you. Um, and so there's a huge group of charismatics that are that way, but there's also a huge group of charismatics that say, no, the Bible is the perfect and full and complete revelation. It is sufficient for everything we need. And so then you ask them, well, what do you, what do you expect prophets to do? But what, is, what is all... like? How are these things working? And they would say, well, prophecy is different than it used to be. Um, in fact, when you look at somebody like Wayne Grudem, who I think lays out the position for the continuationist that is very Bible-centered, the, 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 the like, we want to do it the way the Bible says, he defines all of those miraculous gifts in different ways than the Bible does. And he admits that. He says that... Back in the New Testament, this is what miracles look like. But the miracles that we expect to see today are very different. They're not overt. They're not obvious. They're not—it's—it's uh, it's lower back pain that's gone. It's not necessarily um, a limb that was cut off that no, it's now healed. I mean, so they're expecting a different version of miracles. They're expecting prophecy to be different. It's not new revelation, and all prophecy should be should be checked against this revelation and he says that no modern-day prophet should ever stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. They, and the way that it's worded, it's like, um, you should say something like, I think the Lord might have said this. Like, that's, that's really the new version of um, what prophecy is. And so, <clears throat> for, all of, for all of these gifts, depending on what you think the status of the Bible is, will guide some of your thinking and what you think those gifts can be. Because... Those gifts of prophecy can't be new revelation if the Bible is sufficient. But they can be new revelation if the Bible is not sufficient. And so a lot of how you think about this is going to be determined by... Because if God gives us everything we need, and it's, why, why are we expecting God to speak a new word to us? So um, <clears throat> the other thing that, that Grudem says is that modern-day prophets should not be put under the same type of scrutiny as Old Testament prophets. In the Old Testament, if you got a prophecy wrong, you were stoned. In the New Testament, he does say that you shouldn't kill people if they try and prophesy in your life, and it's not true. All right? So that they, they recognize it. The biblical ones, like John Piper, John, uh, Wayne Grudem, um, Matt Chandler, David Platt, those guys that we list to, for, they would say that, yeah, there are gifts, but they're, they're different. The, the manifestation of the gifts are different than they used to be. Um, Okay, we don't have a lot of time left. There's a lot I still want to get to, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Then later on, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the gifts here are given. He gave some apostles and prophets all those things to perfect the saints. So the work of ministry would continue. So the body would be edified and and that that will happen until we're in the perfect man. Well, what's interesting about that is it's like, wait, this is going to continue until the measure of the fullness of Christ, which you assume is going to be when Jesus comes back. But the vast majority of um, conservative theologians would say that we don't believe in apostolic succession. And the the point that I would make here is the miraculous gifts that were given to the church in the first century and the miraculous gifts that were offices that were given to the church in the first century still do benefit the church today. They are still working in the church, in a sense, because they are still building up the church. They're They're still directing our ministry. They're still edifying the body. Okay, the miracles that, were confirmed, that confirmed the Word of God back then are still relevant today. Because we look back on history and say God confirmed His Word. And we have these words because they, they were confirmed by miracles. So, um, it's, it seems very clear that the foundation that was laid by the apostles and the prophets is still beneficial and it's still active in the church today. It's still important for us. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he said, a prophet was a person to whom truth was imparted by the Holy Spirit. A revelation or message or some insight into truth came to them and them filled with the Spirit were able to make utterances which were of benefit to prophet and profit to the church. Surely it is clear that this again was temporary and for good reason that in those early days of the church there were no New Testament scriptures. The truth had not been expounded in written form. And then he goes on to, to explain how we ought to try and imagine what position we would be in if we did not possess the New Testament epistles. How would you know if the person speaking from the pulpit, pulpit was telling you the words of God? The way you know it is that they can also heal your diseases. That they can also raise the dead. And, and those things happened. That was the foundation. It was laid. And it's no longer expected. I'll close with a qu- quote from um, Spurgeon, he said, you know, dear friends, when the Holy Spirit was given in the earliest ages, he showed his presence by certain miraculous signs. Some of those who received the Holy Spirit spoke with tongues. Others began to prophesy. A third class received the gifts of healing, so that wherever they laid their hands, diseases before them fled. The remaining works of the Holy Spirit, which are at this time Given to the church of God are in every way as valuable as those earlier miraculous gifts which have been which which have departed from us. The work of the Holy Spirit by which men are quickened from their dead in, death and sin is not inferior to the power which made men speak in tongues. The work of the Spirit when he comforts men and makes them glad in Christ is by no means second to the opening of the eyes of the blind. And the point he's making is rather than us going full speed after these gifts that seem to be gifts that were given to found the church and to validate the, validate the message, we should be going full speed ahead into the gifts that God is giving the church now. Because the working outworking of those gifts are just as powerful and just as important as the original gifts. Right? It's not more or less. It is, let's use the gifts that the Spirit has given the church to build the church. That's what we are called to do. And every single person in this room has a part in that. All right? So thank you for listening. God bless.